Eggnog takes me back to the day as a lonely woodsman fighting the fierce winter storm, drinking the distilled elk fat. That's so disgusting. Eggnog is seriously the worst thing on earth. I can't tell you how much I love eggnog. <laughs> I'm so, so in love with eggnog. I love it so much. On that note, Merry Christmas, my boy. You know, the politically correct term is actually Happy Christmahana Quantica. What? Chris Mahana Quantica is politically correct. It's probably appropriate to get that right. It's 2020. Come on, man. I'm not going to be politically correct. We're all about the hot button issues here. We're going to be divisive, inflammatory. That is kingdom thinking, I suppose. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to kingdom thinking. Welcome to our Christmas special. I love eggnog so much, if you haven't heard that already. So we have this today, and today we're going to dive into some very, very important topics. So, Josh, let me hit you with it right away. Let's do it. Fake tree or real tree? Real tree only. Everybody who uses a fake tree will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, well, just so you know, real trees have at least a 50% higher chance of catching on fire because right. they get really dry. Right, but fake trees are more likely to contribute to climate change and make things worse for the generation that comes after us. How so? Because they get thrown out, probably. Yeah, but you can keep those for like three generations. I mean, it doesn't matter though. Eventually, they get thrown out. Eventually, everything plastic makes its way back to the ocean. Do you honestly think that a, a real tree every December is going to be more beneficial and better for the environment? Oh, than... sure, because we can replant. Yeah, easy. Tree farms are easy to sustain, easy to replant with. Gives you a better smell. You actually get the evergreen smell as I, you enjoy and it. And you're going to put a real tree where? In my home. And you're going to keep watering that thing? Sure. It only takes a cup of water a week to make nonsense, it work. Nonsense. Nonsense. Let me tell you, we had one tree in my whole time when I was growing up in my family. It's because they didn't tree. love you. <laughs> <laughs> so fake tree or real tree? Okay, well, there we have it. Next, Christmas sweaters. Yeah, your name. Uh, yeah, I mean, clearly, I think we're both in the same camp on this one. Uh, all okay. about the green in there. So a huge fan of Christmas sweaters. Uh, and the more... Uh, odd and peculiar the slogan like the more insider the joke is the more i'm a fan of it okay yeah, yeah yeah so i'm actually wearing one of those this is the christmas sweater of my favorite band so it is kind of something like that where you pick something you stick to it yep i'm gonna go with no though <clears throat> you know when i was growing up we had we picked out our christmas outfit like a month before and we knew that was what we were gonna wear to the living room that sure. day and it was never a christmas sweater so I don't understand Christmas sweaters. Well, I mean, that makes sense. You guys only ever had one tree. It's not like things like... doesn't sound like Christmas was awesome at your house. <laughs> there. However, though, however, I do remember these insane, insane parties. Okay. And they did not revolve around sweaters. Yeah, that's See, fair. See, sweaters, no, that's a good point. sweaters aren't the outfit of sure. party people. Sure, that's fair. You know fair. what I'm saying? Like... How fun would that gathering be? I don't know. I'm suspicious. A little bit. I'm suspicious. <laughs> I will say, though, as I get older, they're kind of growing on me. So I don't know if it's... because you're getting lazier. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe yeah. that's what it is. All right, next one. Best Christmas movie of all time. What do you got? Uh, Elf, for Elf? me, is probably up there. Uh, yeah, I think Elf's probably really? the best of all time. For me, it's Jingle All the Way. Man, you're Turbo like, Man. Yeah, you're throwing it way back. Arnold there. going through the journey. If anybody in the comments knows what Jingle All the Way is without Googling it 
would you just please let us know? Because I don't think there's going to be... You think that's more of a, like a subculture thing? Uh, yeah, like a cult classic. You think kind so? Of thing? Yeah, probably. There, I doubt Jingle All the Way did great at the box office. Yeah. Sinbad is a theatrical Fair. mastermind, no doubt. There, but Arnold's performance is a little lacking. It was classic that. Arnold. That's better. Lacking, yeah, classic Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> there, sure. Awesome. That's definitely my proposal. Okay. So yeah, I mean, it's a we'll good one. See. I mean, I think the comments could settle this. Yeah, I think Elf sure. will win for sure. All right. Yeah. Last one. Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays. What do you think? I don't, you know, I don't want to get yeah, to touch nerves right. or, or All right. you know, bruise anybody's I'm gonna say Merry Christmas. on this one. I'm going to say Merry Christmas here because it's still the culturally dominant thing that we do. Uh and I have talked to my plethora of Jewish friends who are not celebrators of Christmas, and they have told me that it doesn't bother them when really? people say Merry Christmas to them. Uh, though if somebody's wearing a yarmulke on your head, I think you can kind of go out of your way to like say Happy Hanukkah. But, but just as a generality, uh, we set up all the decorations that are Christmas-related anyway, so mm. we might as well just be consistent with our parlance and our verbiage, and I think it's something that requires us for the sake of non-hypocri- <laughs> non-hypocrisy to be Merry Christmas dominant, as it were. So I think there's a difference between consistency and not being hypocritical and more of a self-awareness. Sure. Not everybody's going to share your your perspective on that. So apart from the culture war, as it were, I do think there's something to be said about being aware of uh, the perspectives or or views of people who don't share your perspective on that. So would, would I go out of my way to say Merry Christmas to somebody who I specifically know, right, is either going to be antagonistic or somewhat agnostic to the whole project? Yes. You would? Oh, yeah, dude. Really? Just like just to spite them? Yeah. yeah. Really? Dude, get on my level. (laughs) Conform or get out? No, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think that the whole Happy Holidays thing is, is it kind of like a bowing of the knee to wokeness? No. No. Uh, my dad likes to die on this hill. So really? I, I will throw him under the bus a little bit here. Okay. He, he does love to say, like, go out of his way to say Merry Christmas to people uh, that are not identifiable in any other way. Like right? the people at the store? Yeah. Every uh, every Starbucks person that he talks to, every cashier at, like, our local grocery store that he talks to, every person at the gas station, every homeless person he talks to. It's He's always get a Merry Christmas. every single one. Merry Christmas and God bless you are like the two Year definitive. Round? Oh yeah. When does? Oh when, no no. Merry Christmas is only. When does that start? Uh, December. Probably when Walmart starts putting out Christmas decorations. That's so gotta be like August. <laughs> August to December. Start saying Merry Dude, Christmas. He'll totally say it. Dude, yeah. That's all about it. No no. Anytime the Christmas season starts, like for real. So probably November 29th to yeah. December twenty. Eighth. Yeah. We'll say Merry I mean, Christmas. I don't know. I don't know. It just. Honestly, it's the wink and the smile. It just, it's like, it, Merry belated Christmas. Ah! Only just, 362 more days till Christmas. It rubs know. me the wrong way, man. Yeah, fair I, enough. I don't know what it is. I don't know. I I could be a deficient Christian, <laughs> potentially. <laughs> yeah, for other reasons. But yeah. They, yeah, I mean, what do you guys say? Do you say Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays? And does it matter? Does it matter? That's, yeah, a, big, that's a bigger I one. I think that's a big one. Does it matter? Uh, does it matter as much as eggnog? No. No. Eggnog is so good. <laughs> it's genuinely the it worst. It is so good. So what do we got today? So transitioning here into a little bit more of a substantive note, what we wanted to go through is some evaluations or reflections, better said, some reflections on Advent. 
for those of you who may not know, uh, Advent is the time period or the season right before the nativity on the calendar. So the church calendar has designated this time where uh, the posture of Christians is to be reflective of, of this time that's called waiting, Advent, the, the waiting, the yearning for the arrival, the coming. So Advent, you can use that word in different contexts, right? The, the Advent of technology or mm-hmm. you can use that word for anything. But I find this word specifically meaningful because in the context of my uh, church family and my church experience, there has been, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be in a church where there is an emphasis on, on that tradition, traditional aspect and where I have been shaped in a way where I can not only foster that sense of yearning and waiting for myself, but also see and be sensitive to that sense of yearning and waiting for others. Mm. And I think that's so important in this time. And I want to touch a little bit on it, mm-hmm. uh, especially in what has been such a tough year in many ways, yeah, right? No 2020, doubt. I hope one day is just going to be the punchline of a joke. Yep. Uh, but in many ways, it's not that for so many people, right? So many lost lives, uh, so many people without jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that my wife and I committed to this year is at least in our community, we live kind of close to the Long Beach area, say we have to do something. So we committed to the Long Beach Rescue Mission. Mm-hmm. Just being able to create a habit or train ourselves to be able to sense the yearning and the need and the want uh, of those around us, yeah. uh, I think has been helpful for us to, to not be callous to that. Um, and so what I wanna do is I wanna take our viewers briefly through the Old Testament story, grand scheme, broad strokes, and how it leads us to this Great. time now of waiting and yearning. And then I want your contributions on the New Testament sure. side of those things. So <clears throat> what's really, really awesome about the beginning of, of the story here is that when you look at the first five books of the Bible, it's often called the Pentateuch, you have this, this cycle or this round story from beginning to end. And so the whole point of creation is that God is setting for himself a place where he will dwell. Mm-hmm. The Garden of Eden is supposed to be, rather than an, an arbitrary point, it's, it's an orientation. It's the place where humanity will have access to God's rest. And the promise is that they will have that rest. So when sin disrupts that, not only is humanity thrown out of whack, but the whole cosmos, the earth Mm -hmm. itself is disordered. And the imagery used in Genesis for that is the waters, Mm -hmm. right? So just as God orders the waters, the flood disorders Mm -hmm. the earth again. And so God, through his promise to his people, is ordering the earth. He's saying, I will give you rest. So you see this with the promise to Abraham. And then after... Abraham dies and then Isaac and Jacob, you're going to have this line through Joseph and then eventually Moses where the the journey is to come back to this place of rest. Right. And Moses doesn't get there. He His last sermon to the people in, in Deuteronomy is, don't forget the Lord your God. Choose life. Don't forsake your God. We're about to get there. So what you're seeing in in the narrative of the Pentateuch from Genesis to Deuteronomy is the people of God are about to make their way back to the place of rest. And this is what Joshua is supposed to signify. So then in, in the historical books or in Joshua through Kings, 
you're supposed to have this imagery as a reader of going back to the place of rest. Now, what's so tragic about the Old Testament story is that they never quite get there. Right. In Deuteronomy, Moses doesn't get there. He's not quite there. So it's a cliffhanger. Right. Then Joshua, they cross the Jordan. They're into the promised land physically. This is great. Except that they made a covenant with the pagan nations, which they weren't supposed to do, which led to idolatry, which leads to unrest. Then you get the period of the judges, which unravels everything and basically ends in civil war for the Israelites at the end of the book of Judges. And then the the new question that arises is, well, will a king fix that? And so in the book of Samuel and Kings, you have the narratives of the kings of Israel. And, and the question that the reader is supposed to be thinking is, will a king finally bring about rest? And the story tragically ends with complete exile. Mm-hmm. And th- this is this is heartbreaking to read because if, if you thought about it for a modern day, what would it be like for a foreign nation to destroy your headquarters, burn it to the ground, take your most influential leaders, and um, dissociate a full generation for 70 years from what from their identity? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't use this, this example flippantly, but I, I think it's appropriate. Could you imagine what it would be like if something like ISIS— Mm-hmm. launched an attack successfully on our soil so that not only our infrastructure would collapse, but our professors, influencers, politicians, mm-hmm. thought leaders, they're all getting executed. Yep. So now you have a directionless people for 70 years. You know what that effectively does? Yeah, of course. Is it, it ends the identity of a yeah. people. Yeah, it destroys your heritage. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It completely cuts you off. Now, this is this is the Old Testament story. Right. Like I said, I'm not using that example flippantly. I just, the powerful imagery of that is supposed to evoke this sense of heartache and yearning yep. that the Old Testament is supposed to evoke in the readers. And so you have 400 years of silence after Malachi, of nothing. And then when you jump into Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, what you're supposed to sense as a reader is, God is coming back to face this problem head on, to put this burden on his own shoulders. Right. And through his birth, that eternity would become a man. Yeah. that it, It's like that Augustine, I think, says, it's like the rivers would become thirsty yeah. or that the bread would become hungry. It doesn't make sense. And yet, this is the yearning that humanity actually has. Mm-hmm. And so if you could take us through a few moments sure. in how the New Testament actually does the heavy lifting for this, I think we could give some helpful context for our viewers for how significant this season really is. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so to backtrack just a little bit before Matthew, right? So we, in the Protestant tradition, right, we we have this idea of like silence, right? There's 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew, but we know that the pseudepigrapha is being mm-hmm. written in this time. So, you know, things that like our Catholic brothers and sisters would consider inspired and holy. Absolutely. There's a whole grip That's of true. writing, particularly absolutely. like apocalyptic literature Correct. that's talking about uh, the summation of the problem that you present Correct. at the end of the Old Testament narrative Correct. in the Hebrew Scriptures. Where I'm God thinking is, of Maccabees in particular. Yes, yeah. yeah. And, and so where God is going to come through and reestablish Israel. And you actually see this kind of in a historical playing out when the Maccabees actually take back Jerusalem yeah. for a time, right? From the Greeks, yeah. Uh, and, and so when we see this kind of moving forward into the New Testament, particularly in Matthew, um, 
Jesus arrives on the scene and he's indicative of kind of this new Moses, mm-hmm. right? In the way that he's supposed to be understood. So actually Matthew itself is oftentimes in scholarship is broken up into five books, right? It's broken up into five sections and understood kind of like a new Pentateuch that's right. being in, inaugurated in, into the discussion. And so Jesus arrives in this very uh, helpless state in the same way that Moses kind of shows up on the scene, you know, and then Herod orders the execution of all of the boys that are under two. Mm. Uh, but what's neat is Matthew takes a moment to use this genealogy development where he kind of reminds the reader about the totality of the heritage and how it's not lost, Mm -hmm. right? And how it's not something that needs to be mourned. Uh, It's not like a forlorn understanding. Like there's a very real connection to the Davidic line of the Messiah that's coming into which Jesus is uh, attached. And so, you know, the wise men show up and then they're looking for Jesus. By the way, they're not at the original birth scene, so they don't belong there in your nativity sets, but that's okay. Uh, But, you know, they show up later, two years, right? right, And that's why uh, Herod wants to kill all the babies. And and so, and then as Jesus grows and develops, right, you see this person. uh, What I, I love the way that you really encapsulated it there, the idea of like, God taking on the problem head on Mm -hmm. and eternality becoming flesh, right? I think that's the best way and the most succinct way to put it. And the idea here is like the way that rest can only come is through the total evisceration and defeat of sin Mm. in its most ugly and uh, fully understood form, right? And that is through Christ's death on the cross and, Mm -hmm. and, and and the resurrection. And so, and then what comes after that is this idea of making sure that we, as followers of Jesus and being part of the Jesus movement, is to ensure that we proclaim this message of rest and this kind of now, not yet distinction of where God has come to earth. The reckoning has begun there in terms of the restore, like God didn't come to earth to take us to heaven and then to abandon this place that Mm -hmm. ultimately in revelation at the end of the book, we're going to be back in that restored heaven and earth. Right. And so it's almost back to the garden where we started, you know, in in this idea. And so there are these, you know, it's a beautiful bookend, I guess, to the narrative where it's like, eventually we will find rest in new creation and what that looks like. And so we, through our journeys with Christ now from acts on, experience moments of this through a process called sanctification, which is a really fancy church word of being basically saying like you're being made to be more like Jesus, right? In a daily kind of occurrence. Mm -hmm. And so that becomes our goal as to be people who practice this idea of being made holy or being made like Christ there each day that we live this side of the grave and this side of eternity. And then our job, our hope, our, you know, our call is to make sure that we extend that out to other people as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I saw in an image recently and it's, based off of this portrait where you have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and you kind of have this, almost like these halos Mm -hmm. around them. It's a a pretty famous image. And in this portrayal of that, it was the same image, but rather it was uh, what seemed to be a homeless family. Mm. And it was a father, son, and the mother portrayed that way. Mm -hmm. And what I would want to encourage us and our viewers to take into account is how in this time of need, how important it is to realize that when God becomes a man, he is not only dignifying those who are going to believe in him, for mm-hmm. example, but he, he is dignifying every single bearer of his image. The whole of humanity. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All of humanity is being um, is going to be remade yeah. and is, is being dignified. And that's so important as a reminder when we think about those who hunger, those who, who have need. 
um, and the yearning um, and the deep groans within us in this time, yeah. which, which are, are being made more obvious, yeah. right, in this season. Well, I mean, that's Romans 8 in a right. nutshell, right? Exactly. Paul writes about the yearning of creation. Exactly. For sure. And that we can see Christmas this season, we can see the incarnation as the single most restorative thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and what's important to know is like Christmas is kind of part of this fundamental ordering of things where it's like Christ had to be born before he could die. Right. Right. And our job of that is like as we choose to become more Christ-like each day, there's a kind of a a birthing process Mm. again that happens as we continue to step into and live from the new nature that Christ has instilled us with. But beyond that, we get to be people who help usher in the eschaton. So what this means is like we get to be people who help usher in the idea of this restored creation Mm -hmm. by participating and being intentional with this idea of yearning that you're talking about, right? It's like God calls us to be people who meet the needs of the whole of humanity around us, irrespective of religious conviction or lack thereof there. And we get to, uh, kind of be a temporary solution or a fix or a, you know, maybe a a step in the process of like Mm -hmm. helping satiate that yearning feeling when we genuinely step up and step outside of ourselves to participate in that. That's exactly right. And so that's our encouragement for you guys in this time of Advent, which signifies the time of where the Christian society, the Christian church is intentionally acknowledging this posture of yearning and waiting. We want to continue to acknowledge and encourage all of the needs that we see around us. Absolutely. Because... Uh, ultimately, that is the biggest reflection of what the giver has given us, yeah, which amen. is his own son. So, you guys, we want to wish you both happy holidays and a Merry Christmas. But mainly and, Merry Christmas. <laughs> no, and, and we hope that in this time uh, of such harsh need that that the the season and this Christmas gift could be of, of great comfort and of great news to all of you guys. So, thanks for tuning in. We want to wish you guys an awesome, awesome time. And we'll see you next time on Kingdom Thinking. Yeah. So what about this eggnog thing then? I'm still not touching it. You have to. No, it. no, I don't. You're not touching it? No. Have you ever had it? Mm-hmm. It's and just you... not my jam, dude. Really? It's too buttery. It's like I'm drinking butter. It's not good for my soul. It's, it's no, it's too fatty.